height. Well, today I'm going to talk to you guys about an idea called irrational math. No, don't worry, we're not going to bust out the, the algebra books or, or uh, the, the graphing calculators, anything like that. But when it comes to Jesus, there's a lot of things, and the kingdom of God, there's a lot of things that just don't measure up from our perspective. Now, how many of you guys have a relative in your family who every time you go over to visit them, they're having some sort of difficulty with something electronic? Maybe it's their TV, they can't get it to operate properly or just can't seem to get logged into their email, or my phone's not working correctly, and you end up having to do a little tech support. How many of you guys are that person who needs the help when they come by? Yeah, I see a few hands going up there. But a lot of times what's going on is in the background, you don't even realize that there can be too many programs running. And sometimes the simplest fix is just to shut down some of those programs. There was a TV show a couple years back called The IT Crowd, and it, it always cracked me up because anytime someone called the IT department, I need help with my computer, they answered the phone by saying, this is the IT department, have you tried turning it off and on again? That was the first thing they said. Just, just turn it off, turn it back on, see if that fix it, fixes it. And a lot of times, that can be all that we need to do to get back to running the way we should. And the human brain is a lot like that. Sometimes we just have too many things going on in the background and we need a little shutdown and a little reset so that we can get running properly. I'm a little bit like that. I, there are times when I'm, I'm, I'm going through my day and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and it's like, okay, I need, I need to just uh, shut the door, shut out all distractions for just a minute and I need to sit down and I need to write down all this stuff in my head, especially if you're trying to remember, okay, I need to go pick up the dry cleaning and it's my night to cook dinner tonight and did I thaw out the, 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 the meat that we need and, and I've got to run over here, I've got to go to the bank and get some cash and, and we think of all these things and we get it going and it's just running in the backgrounds of our mind and it, we get to a place where we're just feeling so anxious and overwhelmed and it's like if I could just sit down for two seconds and, and catch my breath then maybe I can operate a little better. And one of the things that can be operating in the back of our mind without even realizing it is unforgiveness. See, sometimes we have these problems, these things where in the background we're having to work at forgiving people. Maybe we're having to work at forgiving ourselves. And so sometimes we need a, an opportunity to sit back and just say, look, I need to reset. So we're going to talk about this today. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture today, and we're, we're going to see what Jesus has to teach us about forgiveness. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn with us, we're in Matthew chapter 18. I wonder how many of the people in my Bible study class brought their actual Bible. We were talking about the difference between looking on your phone and, and reading from an actual book and, and some of the differences that can occur when you do so. So I wonder how many of you guys brought your Bible today. Did you have to dust it off? I don't know. Uh, I like to use my Bible and my phone, so I go back and forth. But we're in Matthew 18. We're going to start with verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to him, and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, I like to think that when he was talking to Jesus, he was like looking over Jesus' shoulder at one of the other disciples and just had his eyes locked. How many times do I have to forgive someone? You know, maybe Peter was being a little petty in there. But Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. This is that irrational math. Now, I don't know if you're any good at doing math in your head, but that's a lot. That's 490. And that doesn't go along with what the world teaches us, right? They say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? You only get two chances and then you're done. 
is the way the world looks at it. But Jesus teaches us something different here. He says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Then Jesus explains it in a little story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars and he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man that he had forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So that seems a little harsh on its face. That if we don't forgive others, that, that God is going to not forgive us. But we already know that God wants to forgive us. How do we know? Because of the lengths he went to, to sacrifice his own son on our behalf. So we know his desire is to forgive us. But for us to unlock that forgiveness for ourselves, we have to forgive others. So I want to talk about a couple things here in this passage. First of all, you would think this king in this story doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It says all of a sudden this guy owes him millions of dollars is, is what it says that he owed him. And you, and you think, well, why is this king loaning out millions of dollars to someone who isn't taking care of things the correct way? Well, this actually makes sense if you look at it from the Roman perspective. They had this idea called the dominus right? That was the king. And the king would basically everything belonged to the king or in their case to, to the emperor Caesar. And so when he would give you a piece of land, that was a dominus. He was, look, this land still belongs to me. I can call it back anytime I want, but I'm leaving it in your care. You take care of it. And then I'll take my part of it, uh, you know, my, my cut off the top. And so the king at any time, this was a, a way of control. He could, at any time, he could call you forward and say, look, I want you to make a, you know, call forward and make an, a report on what you're doing with this, this property and this, this, uh, um, this, this um, money and this land that I put into your care. So let's make sure that you're taking care of it properly. So the king sometimes would do that just to kind of check you and make sure, hey, are you doing things the right way? Think of it a little bit like an IRS, IRS audit, right? Now, I know April 15th is getting close and some of us are getting a little nervous, but it's okay. As long as you're doing things the right way, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But anyway, the king called in this servant and he said, I want to see your, your books. I want to see and make sure you're doing everything correctly. And it, it was found out that this servant wasn't doing everything the way that he should. So the king threatens. He says, I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife and your kids. And think about it. If he sold all of them into slavery and, and put them in the debtor's prison, um, it wouldn't be, it'd be pennies on the dollar. He wouldn't get back what he had put into that servant's care. So when the servant said, be patient with me, I'll do it right from here on out. We'll get things squared away. The king had mercy. 
And then we see the flip side of that, where that same servant was put in the situation where someone owed him, and he was unmerciful. And so Jesus was pointing out the hypocrisy in this situation. Now, I want you to see that um, it wasn't the fellow servant. It says there was the servant who owed millions. That, that's the, the unforgiving servant. Then there was the servant who owed a few thousands. Now, listen, when, when he got called to count, and it said that he choked him, and that he demanded instant payment, that wasn't the servant that went and complained to the king. It was everybody else. Everybody else who saw what was going on, they said, this isn't right. So they stood up, they went to the king, and they said, there's injustice going on because there's forgiveness and mercy that's not being given when it should be. And that's when the king stepped in. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. When we have forgiveness that isn't being given when it should be, that's when the Lord has to step in and call us to account a little bit. So this passage is, is very familiar. We've heard this story many times, but I want to point out a couple different things here. Number one, it says, Jesus says that we should uh, forgive someone 70 times 7. Like I said, that's 490 times. And we always think of this in terms of, that means I should be patient. I should forgive someone over and over again. I should be long-suffering. But let me uh, let me question that and look at it from a little bit different perspective. What if instead of forgiving someone 490 times, and, and no, that's not a hard limit. That doesn't mean once they get to 491, we cut them off and they're done. But let's think about it this way. What if instead of forgiving someone for 490 offenses, what if I need to forgive that person for the one offense 490 times? And you think, well, what's going on with that? Why, why would I have to forgive them again if I already have? Well, here's the deal. Forgiveness has two stages. There's decisional forgiveness. You, de you decide, I'm going to forgive this person. You say, in your mind, this is the right thing to do. By me carrying around this grudge and this hard feelings and this bitterness in my heart, I'm not even hurting them. I'm hurting myself more. So I'm going to forgive someone because it's the right thing to do. Up here in your mind, you've decided, I forgive that person. But then, what happens? Someone talks about them. And just the, the very sound of their name brings all that hurt. And all that emotion back up again. Or, or maybe just, just thinking about what happened. You know, it, it causes you to cringe a little bit on the inside. Or maybe you're having to deal with some of the, the, the bad effects of decisions or things that other people have done to you. And while you up here you think you've forgiven it, but now that you're in the midst of it and you're having to work through all the muck and the mire and everything that comes along with those decisions, you start feeling that that tightening in your chest and, and, and you just can't let go of it. And you, and you sit there and you, you get angry with yourself. You think, well, why am I feeling like this? I already said I forgive him. I, I, I prayed it, uh, about it. I, I talked to you, God. I said, God, I, I'm done with this. I, I'm turning it over to you. I know that you're just and that you're going to make sure that everybody gets what they deserve and that, that justice is done. Lord, I put it into your hands. Vengeance is yours. I'm letting go of this. But then something triggers us and we go back. Or it could even be with yourself. You know, we like to think that we forgive ourselves, but sometimes we, we, we keep a record. You know, in, in Corinthians, it says that if we love someone and if you love yourself, then you, you keep a record, no record of wrongs. And so the thing is, Lord, uh, that when we're living our life with the Lord, sometimes we make a mistake and we think that we've forgiven ourselves for all those prior mistakes. But as soon as we mess up again, we think, oh, yep, that's right. You're the mess up. You, you always do things wrong. You're always doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, uh, making the wrong choices. And so we hold that against ourselves. And so we need to learn how to forgive people and forgive ourselves. 
So that decisional forgiveness, that is doing the right thing. Most of us can get there. We all know that we should forgive. We should forgive others, and we should forgive ourselves. And I'll be honest, forgiving myself is one of the hardest things. I mean, there's no bigger critic in the world than myself. You know, everything I do, I think, well, I could have done that differently. I wish I'd have said that differently. I wish I'd have, you know, gone to bed on time instead of staying up to watch one more episode on Netflix or whatever it is. You know, and that seems like silly things, but we hold these things against ourselves and we allow them to, to be operating in the background. We don't forgive ourselves. We don't forgive, our, don't forgive others. So that's where we have to get to the second stage of forgiveness, and that is emotional forgiveness. That is living in control of the pain whenever these things come back up. So too many times people try to dismiss emotion. They say, oh, you're just being emotional. Get over it, right? We, we like to tell people, don't, don't live by your emotions. But when we deny our emotions, we're denying half of what makes us who we are. We all have emotional responses to things. But there's a difference between feeling an emotion and living in that emotion. Let me give you some examples. It's okay to feel angry from time to time. There are things that are deserving of anger. But it's different to live in that anger, to walk in that anger, to allow the anger over one situation to spill out onto other people in other situations. We have to make sure that we're not living in that emotion. It's okay to feel offended sometimes. There are things out there that are truly offensive. There are people who go out of their way to offend you. They know that it's going to bother you. They know that what they're saying is rude. They go out of their way to be offensive. And it's okay to feel offended at that. But it's not okay to live offended where you've allowed that to take up residence in your heart and you walk around with a chip on your shoulder and say, I dare them to say it one more time again because I'm going to let them have it this next time. I, I held back last time, but I'm letting both barrels go if they say that again. It's one thing to feel it. It's another to live it. It's okay to feel skeptical. If somebody has hurt you in the past, it's okay to say, should I trust them this time around? It's okay to say, are they, have, have they made changes? Are they truly sorry? You know, they came and they said they were sorry, but do their actions line up with what they're saying? So it's okay to feel skeptical, but we have to be careful that we're not living skeptical. It's okay to feel resentment. It's a natural thing. You say, well, that's wrong, Pastor John. I, I shouldn't feel resentful about anything, but it's a natural human response. When somebody has hurt you over and over and over again, when somebody has let you down over and over and over again, when the situations have not played out the way they should, in your mind they should have gone, you got passed up for that promotion for the 18th time and you deserved it way more than the last 17 knuckleheads that they gave it to you, it's easy to feel that resentment in our heart. But we can't live in that resentment. When we allow those things to take root and take residence in our heart, then, God, then, then we can't move forward and live the life that God has called us to do. So there is an idea, in, and we teach this in our denomination, about sanctification, which is, it's a big long word, it just means holy living. It, it means there comes a time in your life when you decide, I'm no longer going to lead a sinful life, I'm going to lead a, a godly life, I'm going to live God's way, I'm going to do things His way. And we believe that there is an instantaneous decision, you can decide that. I, and we believe that the Holy Spirit then comes and empowers you to live that holy life. Why, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why can't my decision be enough? Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of things that we face in this life that are beyond our capability to, to handle on our own. 
So that's why we're grateful that we have the Holy Spirit with us. So when we look at sanctification, it is instantaneous. That's the decision side of it. But then it's also progressive. As we begin to live and learn what it means to walk in Jesus' footsteps, what it means to live and to love and to, and to treat other people as He did, that is the progressive part of it. And forgiveness is the same way. We make a decision, I'm going to forgive. But then we have to learn how to walk it out. And here's the thing. Unforgiveness will pop up and it'll surprise you sometimes. You know, some, and, and, and these emotional responses that you feel, that's the sign that you're not done healing from it. And if you're not done healing, first of all, don't judge yourself for that because it takes time. You don't go out and break your arm and then the next day go hit the gym. It's not how it works. There's a healing process. You have to allow your body and your bones to mend themselves back together. you got to allow the, the bruises in your body to fade and to go away. You don't just get hurt and then immediately hop back up. We like to pretend we are. You know, we, he, he, there was the old Monty Python sketch with the Black Knight, and, and he's fighting somebody trying to keep him from crossing the bridge, and he, he cuts his arm off. He, the, the Black Knight, he gets his arm cut off in the fight, and so then the other night he assumes, hey, this fight's over, and he says, oh, no, it's just a scratch. And he keeps trying to fight with one arm, and then he loses that arm, and then he, he's just trying to headbutt the other night, and then he loses a leg and the other leg till there's nothing left, and he says, hey, you come back here, and I'll bite your leg off. He tries to keep going. And we try to do that sometimes. We try to keep going. We're like, oh, I got hit again. That hurts. But we try to pretend like it didn't affect us. But it does. It affects us. So we have to learn how to walk and live out our forgiveness as much as we learn how to decide it. So when it comes to forgiveness, as I've mentioned, we have to forgive two groups of people. First, we have to forgive ourselves. Mark 12, 31 says this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself first. And you can't love yourself if you're always kicking yourself and, and regretting things and, and not forgiving and not giving yourself some grace. We all mess up sometimes. I promise I didn't plan to spill my communion juice, but it's a perfect example. I could sit up here and I could say, oh, Pastor John, you're dumb. You poured your juice out on the pulpit and it made a mess and someone's going to have to come clean that up afterwards. And, and, and I could kick myself for that kind of thing. It's a simple mistake. Anybody could have done it. But we have to learn how to look at ourselves with grace. A Scottish theologian, his name was P.T. Forsyth, he, he described uh, forgiveness of self like this. He said, you have to know the despair of guilt before you can appreciate the breathless wonder of forgiveness. You have to really feel it. You have to know, hey, what happened there? It wasn't right. It, it was wrong. But then once you accept that, you realize that, hey... I knew it was wrong. That, that's what shows you're not a bad person, right? A bad person wouldn't feel bad about it. A bad person wouldn't feel any guilt at all. Maybe that's why our world has so much problem with forgiveness nowadays. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong about anything. We, we won't admit that we've done something wrong. It's always got to be the other guy. We, we project all the guilt onto the other side. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a UK fan or a UofL fan or, or whatever kind of division it is, we always want to imagine that it was always the other guy. We can't admit that there was a little bit of guilt on our side. But when we come to a place where we understand and we're like, look, God, I knew, I know I fell short, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it because first of all, God, you knew this was coming. You knew who I was. You knew I was going to make mistakes. You called me anyway. You knew that I wasn't perfect. 
you asked me to become your follower anyway, and I accepted that call. When I read about the the Israelites, what do I see? I see a bunch of imperfect people who, even though they had God giving them their rules on how to live their life, how to worship him properly, how to do everything his way, guess what they still did? They messed up over and over and over and over. And every time God was there ready to take them back. It doesn't mean that they didn't suffer the consequences of their decisions. It doesn't mean that, that, that things always worked out the way God wanted it to. Why is it like that? Because He gives us the freedom to decide. He gives us the freedom to, to continue on. I love when I read in the New Testament and I read about just how dumb the disciples were. And you say, well, wait a minute. Well, we look up to the disciples. We look up to Peter and to James and to John and, and all the rest. We look up to them because they followed Jesus. They gave up everything to follow Him. Yeah, they did. But those guys were thick. That you couldn't get through. They didn't understand it. All the way up until when Jesus was arrested, they still didn't get it. They were like, what's going on? And so when it happened, even though Jesus had told them, he said, hey, guys, it it records multiple times where he said, listen, just so that we're clear here, the Son of Man is going to have to be turned over. He's going to be beaten and he's going to be killed. But it's okay. Don't be afraid. You know this is coming. Jesus literally said those words to them and they still didn't get it. So I take comfort in that because if Jesus can take Peter and James and John and use people that are as dumb and as thick and as hard-headed as them, then he can use someone like me. But here's the deal. We have to forgive ourselves when we fall short. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is like we're setting ourselves up as a higher tribunal than him. Who are we to tell God he's wrong? If we apologized, if we said, God, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing, but I need you to forgive me of these these shortcomings that I have. And God says, okay, you're forgiven. Well, then that's the end of it. We don't come back and we say, God, I just want to say I'm sorry again for last week. And, and, And then, you know, wouldn't you get annoyed if someone came and they apologized to you over and over and over and over again? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to annoy God, but it's it's just it's not necessary. If you've, put it, if you've taken your shortcomings and you've put them under the blood of Christ, they're gone. They're forgiven. So we don't have to worry about them anymore. Jesus died for our sins. And he died for our forgiveness. We were talking in Bible study uh, last week. Uh, we were in Mark chapter 16 and we were reading about how Jesus was crucified. And, and it talks about how the temple curtain... When he, when he died on the cross, it says the temple curtain was torn. Now, if you know anything about this curtain, in the third temple, which was what existed at Jesus' time, there was a 60-foot curtain. It started 60 feet up in the air. I'm not sure how tall this roof is, but I'm pretty sure it's higher than 60 feet. So way, way up, there was a, the start of a curtain, and it extended all the way to the ground, and it divided the people from the Holy of Holies. You couldn't enter into God's presence because there was this big, huge thick, heavy curtain that divided us from God. It said, no, God is here. You're out there because of holiness and because of your unforgiveness, because you, you carry sin in you, you can't come into my presence. But when Jesus died, his sacrifice, it says that the, 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 the curtain tore, but it didn't tear from the bottom up. It tore from the top down. I can't reach 60 feet in the air, and I don't think there was anybody alive then that could have done it either. That means there's only one person who could have torn that curtain, 
That's God. God himself reached down because of Jesus' sacrifice. He tore the curtain apart and he said, you can now come into my presence. All of those sins that kept you from being holy enough to enter into my presence, those are gone. So now that that curtain has been torn, we can feel an immense relief. See, here's the thing. We get caught up in living, over, living through our shortcomings again, over and over again. I should have made a different decision. I should have taken that other job. I should have spoken more kindly to that person that was in my life. I wish I'd have gone back to visit my grandma one more time before she passed away. All these different things that we can think of and we beat ourselves up over for them. But when we think about it and we realize that all of our shortcomings are covered by God's grace, we can feel immense relief. Psalm chapter 32, David writes about that joy that we feel. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, he says. All my guilt is gone. Think of that freedom that we get to live in. We don't have to beat ourselves up anymore. We can forgive ourselves because God has forgiven us. I love that. I love the fact that, that David, when he's writing this, he's writing a, an experience that I can relate to so much because it, it was like, man, you, you feel that weight. You feel that burden of unforgiveness. You can't forgive yourself. You can't get over all those things that, that you're holding against yourself. But then it's like he, he just had this realization in verse 5. He said, finally, I confessed all my sins and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said, I will confess and you forgave me. It's like all he had to do was just say, God, forgive me. And, and then he experienced all that relief. That is something I can relate to so much. And see, that's the first step. When we learn to do that, when we learn to forgive ourselves, that creates an ability for us then to forgive others. There's that, that's the first step. The second part is that we, we have to learn how to forgive others. And part of that is our shortcomings has to do with how we treat others. And we needed grace. Because there's times when we were grumpy. We woke, we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. We had a rough day at school or a rough day at work, and we came home and we took it out on the people that we're supposed to love the most. And instead, instead of getting the best of us, they got the worst of us. There have been a lot of times where we said we were going to follow through. We said we were going to be there for someone. We said we were going to do something, and then we didn't, either because we forgot or we just were too selfish to follow through. So we forgive ourselves and then that allows us to forgive others. See, the kingdom of God takes everything that we know about how the world should work and it turns it around. That is this irrational math of God's kingdom. See, the world has this idea in, in the, the realm of psychology. They say this. They say, hurt people hurt people. Right? You've probably heard that phrase before. Isn't it lovely English? You know, it's so hard to understand because the same words can mean different things. But it's saying this. It's saying that people who hurt you, it's because they have pain in their past. And so a lot of times when someone's rude, you know, maybe that person cuts you off in traffic, they're the one who cut you off, but then they give you that one finger salute. And it's like, wait a minute, guy, you're the one that cut me off. 
And you think, well, I, I wonder what's wrong with them. Or maybe you go and you're just having an innocent interaction with somebody at work and they bite your head off. And you're like, well, hey, hey, what happened here? I didn't deserve that. I didn't do anything wrong. But here's the thing. The, the world even tries to get us to be more empathetic and say, look, they're probably just going through their own stuff. Socrates himself, he said, listen, be kind to everyone uh, th that you meet because everyone is fighting a hard battle. So the world understands that hurt people hurt people. But then the kingdom of God takes that and flips it on its head and it says, listen, forgiven people forgive people. See, if we can learn how to walk in our own forgiveness, if we can learn to accept that God paid your penalties and you are now a forgiven person, then you can turn around and you can forgive others. Again, back to C.S. Lewis, he said it like this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. See, when we learn to understand that, listen, I'm only here because of God's grace. I'm only here because God overlooked all those times where I did the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, made the wrong decision. God overlooked all of it. Back to our story with the unforgiving servant. The only reason he was out walking around free to confront the, man, the, the other servant that owed him money was because of the good graces, the mercy of the king who had allowed him to continue on, who had forgiven his debt. That was the only reason he was even there. By all rights, he should have been in prison. He should have been suffering the penalty for his poor decisions. But because we're here by grace... We can turn, and th turn around and give that grace to others. Justin, if you'll join me up here, we're getting towards the end. In the Jewish faith, they would pray three times a day. We see this all the way back in the Old Testament. You think of Daniel. When they, when they made the law so that they could throw him into the den of lions, what, they thought, well, what can we get him with? Oh, I know. We'll get him for praying to his God. We'll say it's illegal for you to pray to anyone but, but the king. But they knew that Daniel was going to go through with it because it was just so built into that Jewish life. They had three times of prayer. They had a morning prayer, an afternoon prayer, and an evening prayer. They still do that to this day. And so the, the disciples, as they were following Jesus around, they were like, look, this is part of our life. We go around and we, we pray three times a day. Can you teach us how should we pray? And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, and when you pray... Don't heap, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See, this was something that was supposed to happen three times a day. This is, you wake up in the morning and you eat your breakfast and you say, God, thank you for giving me my daily bread. Forgiveness in Jesus' mind and in the way he taught us, it should be something as natural to us as, as praying, as eating, as breathing. Forgiveness should flow in and flow out, in and out, in and out, until it's just natural to us. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy. When you're still holding that unforgiveness for yourself, it's hard to breathe that forgiveness in and out on others. 
It's hard when you've been hurt and you say, but Pastor John, you don't know what that person did to me. Look, I, I might, know, know, might not know your exact circumstance, but we've all suffered betrayal. We've all suffered hurt. Sometimes we're hurt by people. They don't even know who we are, but they hurt us. Sometimes they hurt us and they don't even realize how badly they hurt us. You know, we all, especially if you're a parent, I, I, we joke around the, uh, uh, in my family about that, that your parents always ruin your life. You know, whether they meant to or not, they ruined your life. Sometimes when you get older, you have to point out to them, hey, you remember when you said or did this when I was 12? That ruined my life. And we say it in a joking way. But the truth is, is we do. We hurt people all the time. So forgiveness has to be natural. It has to be in and out. There was an Anglican bishop. His name was Sandy Miller. And there was, he told this story about how one time he was out on the beach and he sees all the footprints from where the tourists had been on the beach the day before. And they had chewed up that whole beach. I guess they'd been having a good spring break day or something out on the beach. I don't know if you do spring break in England. I can't imagine it's very warm and great weather over there. But either way, there'd been a lot of people on the beach, all the footprints everywhere. And so he, when he took his evening walk, and then he went home and when he went out the next morning, he was walking on the beach. And over the, the, the course of the night, the waves had come in, the tide had come in, and, and all of those footprints had been flattened out. They were all gone, all the marks were gone, and he walked out onto a pristine beach. And he said he just felt the Lord speaking into his spirit. He said, that is a picture of forgiveness. See, we can't go through a day without getting our feelings hurt, without somebody being rude or offensive. We can't go through our day without offending somebody else. It's just impossible. And, and that's part of the problem that we have today is everybody goes around looking for, to, to get offended. We look for who's trying to, to be mean to me today. We walk around with our defenses up. I'm just ready. Somebody better watch out because if they punch me, I'm punching them right back. But we have to learn to let that out. We have to learn how to let that forgiveness come in like those waves just over and over and over again. And it doesn't make the footprints go away immediately. But as those waves begin to work on the seashore, what does it do? It flattens it all out. It takes those marks away. It doesn't mean that there won't be more footprints the next day. But guess what? Just like there's going to be more footprints, there's going to be another high tide that's going to come in. It's going to clear that away. And then we'll do it again and again. And again, every day for the rest of our lives, we have to learn. So many of us, we've decided that we're going to forgive others. We've decided we're, we're, it's the right thing to do. I'm a good person. I don't know anybody that walks around and says I'm a bad person, right? We all think we're the hero of our story. But we have to learn how to, to live in that emotional forgiveness too. There are going to be triggers that happen. There are going to be things that, that pop up, memories that you have. You know, it, it could be you walk into a restaurant and you think about, I remember that time when, when I used to come here with that person and we used to be so close and, and we don't have that relationship anymore. And you feel that hurt, you feel that pain. But rather than allowing it to sit in your spirit, we have to learn how to acknowledge that emotion, but control it. Learn how to live with it and understand that we're just living by God's grace every day. So if we can learn how to forgive ourselves and forgive others. That is the irrational math that God asks us to do. It doesn't make sense. Like I said, the world thinks we should get revenge. The world thinks everything should be just, right? If you, if you commit an offense, you deserve the punishment. But that's not the economy that God operates in. So as we learn to live in our forgiveness, 
then we can pro- pro- project that forgiveness onto others. So here's how I want to end today's uh, message. And if you'd all stand to your feet, there are a lot of us who are carrying some hurts around inside, some regrets maybe. And so here's what I want to do. First of all, I want you to think, and if you are carrying around in yourself incrimination, feeling like, God, you can't love me. I'm too messed up. You don't know the things I've done. You don't think, know the things I've said. You don't know all the ways that I've fallen short of your glory. You don't know of all of the, the things that I've done that I am absolutely ashamed of. But God knows them all. And guess what? God forgives you for them. So we're going to pray in just a few minutes. And if that's you, I pray that the Holy Spirit comes and just gives you the comfort. You know, we t- Pastor talked earlier about uh, comforting each other. I pray the Holy Spirit comes and comforts you today and lets you live in your forgiveness. I pray that you feel that relief as much as, as David did so that when you walk out that door, you're saying in your heart, you're saying, God, you forgave me. All I had to do was confess and you forgave me. And now all of that, that's under the blood. I can forget that. That's the old me. I have a clean slate. I have a fresh beach. No footprints anywhere. I can walk in your love now. Or maybe, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've got a friend or a family member who's done something wrong. They've done something that hurt you. Maybe they don't even know they did it. Or maybe they did it intentionally. In your head, you think, I'm going to forgive them because it's the right thing to do. But we still have that little emotional twinge that pops up every time we think about them. Or every time we hear that song. Or every time we see their, their picture. Or, or every time we think about having to interact with that person again. We have that emotional hurt. Here's the thing. You can learn to experience the emotion, but still be in control of it. Not allow it to affect you and learn how to forgive that person. It won't be easy. It won't happen overnight. All we have to do is do it a little bit better each day. Like I said, it's progressive. It starts with the decision, but then we have to learn how to live in forgiveness. So here's what I want to do. Most of us, when we were children, we learned to pray this Lord's Prayer. And over half of it has to do with forgiveness for ourselves and forgiveness for others. But as a group, I would like us all to pray through the Lord's Prayer together. And as we do, I want us to release any sort of guilt, any sort of of, of feelings of, of unworthiness, and to experience God's love. And I want us to learn and to look and forgive others those who've fallen short, those who've done things that they shouldn't have done, I want us to learn how to live in that forgiveness. So, Jared, if you can put Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 9. We're just going to start right here. If you'll say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's all it takes. All we have to do is say, God, forgive me. And like the Jewish people taught us, just do it all day long. Start in the morning, finish with it at night. All day long, breathe the forgiveness in and breathe it right back out. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the ability to walk into your presence because Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sin, all of our shortcomings, all of our guilt. Lord, we feel the despair of guilt when we measure ourselves up against your holiness. But Father, the flip side of that is is we feel a breathless wonder at the fact that you have wiped all of that away. All of those things that we've done in the past, all of those things that we're ashamed of, they're gone now. And Lord, because we ourselves are forgiven, because you've forgiven the inexcusable in us, we now can look on others and forgive them. So Father God, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that you would help those who've been hurting. Lord, maybe they've been beating themselves up, or maybe they're hurting because of a, of a, of a, of a disordered relationship with someone else. But Father God, I pray that you would be with them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort them. I pray that you would help us to feel your forgiveness wash over us like waves and for us to rest and relax and to feel that relief in our spirit, to not just know it in our minds, but to feel it in our souls. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As the uh, praise team sings us out, I just want you to be encouraged. Hurt happens to all of us. We have to learn how to forgive ourselves and we have to learn how to forgive others. And if you're struggling with that today, don't worry about it. We've all been there and we're with you. And I pray that this week, God helps you to feel that forgiveness in your heart. God bless you all.